So I went up Googling dating a widow and found a book by a guy called Dating a Widower. That was actually very helpful. I do. I still miss her. But no, it's not like I'm waiting for her to come back or, <laughs> or anything like that. What are some of the unique challenges? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today we're talking about marriage after the death of one's first spouse. And to be even more specific, we're talking about when your spouse dies and you are still young and you have small children. So I'm Lucy Hines and I'm married to Randy Hines and we have five children. And we have been married for seven and a half years. And I'm Randy Hines, all of the above. <laughs> Lucy and Randy are both Texans to the core. But we all met in 2005 in D.C. I had just moved to Washington, D.C. to study at the John Paul II Institute. And I was going to live with three other guys who I did not know. And Lucy and Matt, who were engaged at the time, uh, and Matt was one of my roommates, and uh, had some awesome, fun time. So this is a unique part of Randy and Lucy's story. Randy was good friends with Matt, who was Lucy's first husband. We just had some great memories, built a great friendship, primarily around our faith, around our love of God, and our mutual prayer lives, and then our pursuits and learning about, in Matt's case, philosophy, and my case, theology. Now, my focus in this podcast is on their current marriage. But I will say that Matt was and remains for me one of the best men I've ever known. He was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer two months before their wedding. And for their whole marriage, Lucy and Matt knew that they would have very limited time together. If you want to hear more of that story, my friend Edward Herrera has a podcast called How We Grieve that features Lucy's journey. Matt did want Lucy to get married again. Probably two years into his sickness, we did discuss it, and he had people in mind that he wanted me to consider and talk about. And then it just got to a point where you just never knew when, when that time was going to come. And so we really stopped talking about it, decided to just rely and trust that the Lord would have a plan. In large part, this is because Matt and Lucy, against all odds, were blessed with three boys. Early on, we did seek the advice of a spiritual director and asked about the prudence of even considering having children given this terminal illness. And he posed the question to me and basically said, Lucy, are you willing to care for any children that may come, knowing that there's a possibility that Matt would not be in the picture to help you in that way? And there was a lot of prayer and discernment in that, obviously, um, but we came to the answer of yes. Matt and Lucy were both 27 when he went home to the Lord. A friend of ours, Julie, lived with Matt and Lucy and the boys for the last few months of Matt's life and stayed to help Lucy for a year afterwards. That is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever received was her generosity in that way and having somebody to uh, speak to on a regular basis after Matt's passing and continual help with the children. Randy, at this point, was just going about his life, dating people on and off, considering the priesthood or lay consecration, and struggling with some family health issues. A month after Matt passed away, Julie and I were speaking, and Julie said, hey, you and Lucy should get together sometime. I'm sure Lucy would enjoy having you to speak to as well. This is well before Lucy's pondering remarriage, and so 
I said, okay, Julie, well, what do you think that could happen? And she's like, well, the, the, her free night is, I forget what night it was, Tuesday or Wednesday or Tuesdays. whatever. Yeah. Tuesday. <clears throat> and so Lucy and I got together and she and I talked about Matt and how she was doing. And, but it also gave me a chance to share these really difficult things that I was going through with my own family, health issues. I recall saying to her, I'm not opposed to marriage, but it doesn't seem like it's possible given all the commitments I have now with helping the people that are currently in my life. And she said, well, if you're meant for marriage, God will not only equip you for that, but will bring you the right person who will love you precisely in and through these commitments that you already have to your family. And Lucy and I now joke that, in fact, God was preparing her to enter into and shoulder the things that were going on. Randy told his spiritual director that, barring the unforeseen, a single or consecrated life seemed the path forward. Around seven months after Matt's death, Lucy reached out to a priest friend and went to talk to him. So I reached out to the priest that celebrated the marriage of that night. I just wanted to get together and let him know how we were doing. He looked at me straight and said, Lucy, I think you should consider remarriage. And I was flabbergasted that he would pose this seven months after Matt's passing and he said I want you to pray about it and he gave me several other stories about Texas A&M graduates that we we had known or not known that had been through very similar situations and related how our vows have ended and it's not a betrayal of your spouse to consider remarriage and it may be actually the thing that the Lord is asking you to do so though I was very caught off guard and actually kind of angry as I left there I was just praying on the way back to Matt's mother's house, which was about an hour away, and asking the Lord to just give me guidance. As I was praying, there was just a peacefulness as I accepted the idea of remarriage. And after that peacefulness, I said to the Lord, okay, but I don't have time to date anybody or to look around because I have three children, three and under. I don't have time for this. I asked the Lord to just place a person on my heart. Like, they would, it would just need to be very clear. And after I went through several people in my head, it stopped on Randy. And after Matt's passing, I would call Randy up to maybe help cut the grass or move some large piece of furniture. But it was, it was never in my radar, appropriately so, that this person would be somebody I would want to date. So as... Uh, his name was placed on my heart, I just had this complete peace of knowing this is the person. So she called Randy just to talk. So I get the voicemail, and it seemed different because really never would she just call and say, hey, I was just calling to catch up and see how you're doing. It was always more, as she said, either Matt and I were involved in talking or I'd come visit him and in and through that kind of talk to Lucy or after he passed, there was some either a gathering going on or some help needed, but it was never just, hey, I'm calling to just chat with you and see how you're doing. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder I wonder why she would call and say that, because if anything, I should call her and say, how are you doing? But anyway, so I called her on the way back from my family to Houston. It was about an hour drive and we spoke the entire way. And when I got home to Houston, again, I remember thinking, that was very unusual. That's not doesn't fit the pattern. We, we have not had those kinds of conversations before. Lucy already had a place in Randy's heart and life as the widow of his good friend, Matt. 
the idea of me thinking of Lucy in that way, just, it was never, it was non-existent, either in the past or in that moment. So it really required her opening that door more and more and more uh, over the next few weeks. Just, again, reaching out or texting or saying, hey, why don't you come down and play games with my family? My mom and brother and sister are coming over. You should come down and join us. And it all seemed, again, unusual and like it didn't fit the pattern. And yet I just had a great appreciation for her as a person and for her family and for Matt. And sure, and sure, I'll give you a call and sure, I'll come down. Eventually, my own heart, I started noticing those kind of doors internally were opening, like thinking of her in a different way, which, you know, frankly, is unsettling because for so long, this person was the girlfriend or fiance or wife of a really good dear friend of mine. And in that sense, was like my sister. And so it was unsettling. But I think what made it less unsettling was that Lucy made it very clear very quickly that, hey, nothing inappropriate is going on in the sense of that I wasn't conjuring things that weren't there. Does that make sense? So that's what was unsettling is what if I'm just conjuring this up? Lucy was clear that she wanted Randy around. She invited him to the weekly family dinner that she hosted with families in the area. She invited him to game night with her family. Matt's family also knew Randy. Matt's mom was also the very first person to help in being the cheerleader for this relationship. And I was the most concerned about speaking to her. And she said, you know what? I saw you and Randy a month earlier when Matt's family had invited Randy. And I said, why did you invite Randy? They invited him to a family vacation of ours because they just had been wanting to get together with him. And she said, when I saw you and Randy talking, and I was nursing Andrew, our youngest son at the time, and he had just come back from Africa, and neither of us were looking to impress anybody. (laughs) She said, I knew that you guys had such a great friendship, and I just knew that you would get together. And she said, I was just so happy. And that was probably the best thing that I could have wished for because, of course, we're very close to her, his mother, and she's been every bit supportive in every single way. She must have received this this special grace at this special time because she's just been a, a great support from the very beginning. Randy felt like he was lost in uncharted territory and didn't know who to talk to about it. And so, of course, Randy turned to the Lord. My prayer, it really became more fervent and sincere as the territory became even more and more uncharted. And I just felt blind, like not really knowing what the next step was, what I should do with it, and how do you care for this person who just lost her husband months ago? How do you care for his family? How do I care for my own family? This is all new to them as well. He described this time as a trust fall. You know, when you're up on a platform and there are people underneath you who are supposedly going to catch you. For both Randy and Lucy, dating each other was a big leap of faith. As Randy brings baggage of illnesses in his family, of course I had a giant bag as well. And neither of us would have desired either of those baggages to come with us. And yet they just come. And we are strengthened and all the better for them in the long run. But during that time, it was kind of a hold on tight for the ride. And for others of Matt's friends and family, including me, it was really hard that things were moving in this direction. I'll never forget how respectful Lucy was about my feelings. She never demanded or even expected 
that the rest of the world would get on board. She was confident that this relationship was God's will. This is something that I feel like I continually learn, that everybody grieves in a different way, and everybody is ready to move in a a different direction at a different time. And this was most apparent with Matt's mom. The grieving looked very different as a wife and as a mother. And at times, I didn't quite understand that. I was just immature in that way, and I didn't understand that. And his mother gave me all the time and didn't begrudge me for not understanding either. And I have appreciated that, and I appreciate that to this day, her respect of me and my grieving process. And in turn, I think that that has strengthened my patience in respecting her time of grief and that, that it will look different. But that can kind of play out into respecting the feelings of other people during our dating and engagement and that that also takes time. Uh, Everybody's different. They'll process differently. Maybe they're not living in the same city and so it's harder to see one thing or the other or they just have ideas in their minds. And so I cannot help that. I can only help the way that we respond to that and being respectful and being cognizant. I, I would say that Randy is the greatest of the empathizers of the two of us. And so he was one that kind of spearheaded and led, it's okay, everybody has time. And that was also the help of the spiritual direction to know, well, are we doing something wrong? But having that, that guiding light continually was helpful to both give room to other people and to acknowledge the truth that was happening within. One of the things that was clear to Lucy, but that people who didn't live close by wouldn't know, was that Matt's death clearly affected their oldest son. Right after Matt passed away, there was a visible change in Jim Matthew. He wouldn't smile for pictures. He wouldn't engage a lot. And I remember it took us several months before he was ready to to kind of open up. He was only three at the time, and so he couldn't really articulate these feelings. And we can barely articulate them. But at three, it's hard to say, why are you angry? Talk to me about this. And so... It was just time and walking with John Matthew and being with him and the the normal things and just trying to be present to him. One of the helpful things about God's plan in this situation is that Matt and Randy are different in so many ways. Whether it's height or (laughs) Randy is 5'6", now 6'3", or anything else, they're very different. And early on, Father Paul said, what a gift this is because you are getting to be stretched to love in a totally different way. And over and over again, I've seen that. What a gift that is and God's providence of perfecting me and us in that this is, it's totally new and totally different. And so the journey is going to look totally different. And that is great. Now I'm going to introduce you to the next couple. Uh, My name is Andy Huseman. I'm Beth Huseman. We've been married for a little over one year and together we have five children. In this case, both Andy and Beth had been married before, but Beth's first marriage was annulled and was not a positive experience. When someone passes away, I feel like people tend to just remember all the good things about them, so you kind of have this image of someone that is just like all happy memories. At least that's how I feel like it could be, and so Knowing that with my former marriage, which has been an old, 
Andy knows that I have not good memories from it. But in his case, I feel like he has mostly good memories. So when he talks about things, I'm like, oh, yes, that must be a good memory for you. Whereas when I talk about things from my former marriage, it's like, oh, this was not a good thing, you know. So I don't know. It's just kind of tricky. Andy was married at age 26. Her name is Brittany. Brittany and I got married in January of 2010, and she passed away October of 2015. Was it cancer? Yes. It always is cancer. It's so horrible. This marriage led to two children, a boy and a girl. When she was sick, Brittany and Andy talked about his getting married again. We had talked about how young and everything we were, and but yeah, she said she definitely wanted me to get remarried if something happened to her. Uh, I went back and forth, and I thought, you know what, for the kids, they're so young. At the time that Brittany passed away, they were five and three, so they have a long life. And remember back to my childhood, I couldn't imagine growing up without my mom, so um, yeah. I knew I had to. For them and for myself, it became obvious that, yeah, I'd, I did want to get married. When Andy decided he was ready, he joined Catholic Match, where he met Beth. Well, we went out twice. So I was just starting the prerequisites for nursing school, which meant that I was going to be in school for like the next three years and kind of committed to where I was living at. So knowing that he lived five hours away and that I had this huge commitment, it just felt like way overwhelming. And I just started working again, and I was homeschooling my kids also. So it was just like one too many things to think about. That was the main reason why I just decided to kind of quit responding <laughs> to his text messages. Is it fair to say that you ghosted him? Um, I guess I did. <laughs> Andy was disappointed but moved on with his life. And it was over a year later that Beth showed up again. I had just given up on trying to find a husband. I was like, God, I'm not gonna try to find a husband right now. Like, I'm not going to try anymore. If it's meant to be, then it will happen, but I'm not gonna be trying anymore. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the week, I get this super strong feeling that I needed to text him. It was one of those feelings like something bad would happen if I didn't text him. And I really didn't have any intention of dating someone who lived five hours away. Like, that was not what I was after by texting him. I just felt like I needed to get closure and just say, like, I'm really sorry that things ended the way they did. I didn't mean to leave you hanging. I couldn't believe it when it showed up on my phone that I had a text from her. I still have a chance. (laughs) (laughs) This time, Beth tried to focus on the present and told God that he'd have to make her feel okay with the idea of moving away from her family. Andy being so awesome maybe had something to do with it, (laughs) of being okay with moving. But I, I really struggled with even the thought of it. And I had asked a lot of my family and some of my friends, like, what do I do? Like, this guy is so great, but I don't want to move. So should I even 
let this go any farther. And so I just prayed about it, and I really felt just immediately, seconds after I had prayed, please, God, if this is meant to be, then you're going to have to make me okay with it because I'm not okay with it. So, and then I felt okay with it after that. It was just amazing. Andy's family was super supportive of his dating again. You know, I had two kids, and they would offer to help watching them, or if I went to Wichita for the weekend or something, I could always bring them by my mom's house, or even Brittany's parents, they'd watch them, and everybody was real supportive. Andy and Beth actually set their kids up as pen pals early in their dating relationship so that the kids would have some kind of relationship with each other. The kids were 8 and 6 and 7 and 5, respectively. So they each had someone close to their own age. I don't know. Everything's gone amazingly well with the kids. And I know as far as my two children, they never had an issue with it. They were just always really excited about the possibility of having a dad again and having two more siblings. One of the things that was striking to Andy and Beth about their dating relationship was that they didn't waste any time getting into more significant issues in conversation. Both of us being married before, we knew what we were after. We already had strongly formed opinions and and good reason uh, most of the time. <laughs> Speaking for myself. <laughs> Um, we we were used to bringing up these uncomfortable conversations even from the beginning because we knew there's a lot at stake with our kids and everything. We just needed to get down to it and see if we were right for each other. Beth says that they even discussed NFP before they started dating. I have a full-time job and I have two kids and I don't have time to go out every weekend and meet up with her since we didn't even live in the same city, so we made best use of our time, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think um, uncomfortable conversations are just kind of come with the territory. Uncomfortable conversations. Ah, uh, yes. We're going to spend some time on those now with both couples. First, there's the question of whether the new spouse feels compared to the old spouse. Here's Andy and Beth. I think Beth may feel like maybe I compare sometimes. It's hard. <laughs> uh, to, you know, you have some of these memories, and it's hard not to think back and think, oh, yeah, that would have happened, or maybe that, that would have happened if Brittany and I were in this situation. Or You do have some of the comparison going on. Actually, I feel like you never compare, and <laughs> so I'm oh, kind of surprised that you – I'm really surprised that you said that. Sometimes the truth comes out in an interview, y'all. I feel like it's mainly just my own insecurities being, you know, really brought to the forefront and something that, you know, I need to deal with. Randy sometimes felt like Matt had become an unattainable ideal of a husband. One of the things that made, I think, the first six to nine months of our dating difficult is, is that I would bring up things like, oh, I'm sure that you and Matt maybe had this difficulty with communication or... I'm sure there were times it was difficult with you and Matt in, the, in your relationship on, in this topic. Just normal man-woman relationship challenges, right? And, and Lucy never wanted, wouldn't admit that, basically. And so as the months came and went, it became harder and harder because I was like, well, this guy must have been perfect because Lucy literally, you know, <laughs> said that there's never, they never had an argument, which is funny because I, I was at their home one time and I, <laughs> I witnessed an argument. 
it was over a microwave and how to you know melt chocolate in a microwave. And and I witnessed it. It was all uncomfortable. I'm like, well, okay, this is a domestic dispute. Um, and so when we were dating, I'd say, well, I'm sure that you and Matt and no, it was kind of like no. So she would never say, yes, of course we did, Randy. And yes, of course, that was a challenge. And so, Lucy, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you maybe created this romantic version. Yes. And it was out of fear of not being able to, I don't know, to hold that. And I think that once I had this clarity of like all of these memories, all of these memories are, are going to be held. You don't have to like keep making up this idyllic picture. Like they are what they are and they are good in that. It's absolutely true. I think there was, there was just a fear of, of losing the memory and yet at the same time wanting it to be a good memory. <laughs> but that was definitely um, a unique challenge that comes with the marriage after the death of South and a great detriment to us at that time in our dating. There's a natural process happening here. When someone dies, you want to hold on to all the good and minimize whatever was challenging. If anything, I'd say those early months, I mean, probably, again, Lucy, I don't want to speak out of turn, but probably in your own heart, maybe you did see some competition. And so you were trying to, in a way, protect both of us in some kind of like arbitrary comp- competition. But I think it was Father Paul who said, there's no competition because we're all, we're all have the same goal and we're all carrying the same ball down the field. You are going to miss that first spouse, no matter how awesome your second spouse is. Here's Andy. Right. Yes, I, I do. I still miss her. But no, it's not like I'm waiting for her to come back or or anything like that. I am fully aware, you know, once your marriage is ended, okay, it, it's over. I mean, I've had closure with that. But yeah, I definitely still miss her, but um, I love Beth so much. And Lucy. There's probably not a day that goes by that I don't think of something in regards to Matt. And you also want to make sure that your kids remember their mom or dad. Andy makes sure that they note special days for Brittany. The birthday and the day she died, we've been to the cemetery before, and uh, we still include those dates for sure. Randy and Lucy do the same. Can I make sure that we're going down to visit the cemetery or that I give her time to go either alone or with people or whatever? How can I make sure that that family is super involved? One of the common struggles in these situations is the question of pictures of the first spouse that are up in the house. There were lots of pictures on the wall, the two of us, when Randy would come over and spend time with our family. And so little things like that that I didn't realize were giving off this certain vibe. We have many pictures of Matt up in our current home, which is not, not the home that we lived in after we got married. And so the pictures themselves are not the issue. I think it was just how they were handled or not handled in a broader context. So these kinds of things that Randy brought up to me. And again, at the time, they were very hard. And I didn't always understand, unfortunately, for him and for me, because it it was just painful. Lucy asked permission of another couple in a similar situation to share this story, which came out when she and Randy shared their struggle about pictures. One of the couples said, thank you so much, because the background of my iPhone was a picture of me and my deceased spouse and I'm now dating somebody and I was asking her, does this really bother you? And she said, well, thank you for bringing that up because it does. It's hurtful to see you and her on the screen every time that I see your phone. Andy and Beth had a similar experience. A big thing 
that I struggled with was the amount of pictures. There were still lots of pictures in the bedrooms. And this was when we were engaged. They make it sound like I had a whole wall full of pictures. You literally <laughs> did. On the bedroom wall, there was like six pictures of you guys together. And it made me nice? uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, <laughs> it made me feel like he was still trying to hang on, you know. Andy explains a little about why this was a hard thing for them. One of the struggles about changing a lot of the house is, you know, I had the two kids and making all these changes real quick. I didn't even feel like comfortable for their sake to just go through and change it all. And I think pictures was one of those is just, let's just keep them up and then eventually we'll take some down here and there. So they didn't do it all at once. Lots of uncomfortable conversations, mostly about stuff, Brittany's stuff still being in the house, what level of that that I'm personally comfortable with and what level I'm not okay with. Right, and at first it was difficult, you know, some of that stuff to get rid of because it had been in place for so long and all the memories. And there's been some things that she said, what about this? And I thought, oh, I better keep that. And then a few months later, the same thing comes up and, uh, yeah, we can give that to her parents or give that to her sister or something like that. Or, yeah, we'll put it in stores for the kids someday or something like that. So if you are a couple in a situation like this, here are a few words of advice. First, from Beth. I would probably say to have the hard conversations now. I've heard other people talk about how difficult it is when the other person refuses to let go of the stuff from the previous marriage. And Andy's been really great about that in our case, but I know for some people it's a really hard thing to live with when the deceased person's things are still in the closet. Now you have to live in there too and make sure that all those things get worked out. You have to figure that out before you're living in it, you know. And Randy. This certainly is not just an easy thing, but if, if over time, ask yourself, if I'm in their shoes, what might make me feel uncomfortable or comfortable? Uh, and if each person is asking that question, if I'm thinking, well, if I were in Lucy's shoes, what might I want or not want? And if she's thinking, if I'm in his shoes, what might I want or not want? Then some of these things kind of become non-issues you know it's like well, whatever but but that's not happening and I think early not in our, our getting relationship it wasn't happening things that maybe wouldn't trip up more empathic or thoughtful or mature people can trip up people who aren't doing that and so I think that's what we experienced so that's what we could offer to anyone else if you're in the in the early stages of this kind of relationship just always be asking yourself if I'm them what would I like or not like it's going to allow each of you to really help out the other person through the difficulties. And isn't that what marriage is, right? It's mutual help. Mutual help. That's what marriage is, y'all. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. 
This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, except for the theme music, which is composed and produced by Michael Taylor. And then the new music is from FirstCom.